We are so glad you've joined us today. If God is doing something in your life through this ministry, we want to hear about it. Send us an email at live at trinitynwa.com to tell us your story. You can also go online to give to this ministry by going to trinitynwa.com and clicking the red Give Online button. Again, thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to experience more content, visit our website or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Honorable Fathers, what makes a father worthy of the honor that he should have in the eyes of his wife and his children and other people? Paul Paul indirectly addressed that in his first letter to the Thessalonians. He's actually reminding uh, the folks of the, the Thessalonian church there that that he and his co-workers had acted appropriately among them. And when he was describing the way he treated them, he refers to the way a father treats his children. Paul says, when we were there, we treated you as a father would treat his children. And he describes how a father should treat his children. And although there's a lot more um, ways that this should happen, there, this list could be much longer than what it is. We're going to simply stick with the list that Paul gave as he addressed this subject indirectly right here. And it's only going to have three, three, uh, three things, three words. Our text is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, where he says, You know very well that we treated each of you the way a father treats his children. We comforted you, we encouraged you, and we insisted that you should live in a way that proves you belong to the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So an, an honorable father will, will, will certainly do the things Paul talked about and more. But again, for the sake of our time, let's just stick with the three ways that Paul addressed it in this text. He said, first of all, honorable fathers will comfort their family. Look at verse 11. They will comfort their family. And the word comfort there that is used translates this way. It means to relate to or to encourage or to comfort or to console. An honorable father will do that with his family. Now, he won't do it the same way mama does. Somebody say amen. Because we all know that mamas are much more comforting than dads. But dads are compassionate in their own way. I was thinking about that this week and I thought about how over the years, how I, how I reacted to pain in the lives of my children. It was different than the way Deb did. Deb was the nurturer. She was the one that would hug and kiss and bandage and, and, you know, just speak to them and all. For me, here's what dads do when their kids are in pain. We get aggressive, we get loud, we don't know what to do, and so we determine that maybe the best thing is to go get the person that caused the pain in check. Mama's trying to deal with the pain and dad says, I'm going to go take care of what caused it. I'll be back. Mama's like, no, that's just going to make it worse. Have you ever noticed that, moms, that that's what dad does? The kids are hurt and you're crying and they're crying and you're crying and dad's hollering. Well, what happened? Who did it? I see the blood. Clean it up. 
And the kids are like, what's dad upset about? I'm the one bleeding. And they don't understand. Dad's freaking out because you're bleeding and he wishes it was him. He wishes he could take this pain for you, but he doesn't know how. And so this is how he deals with this. With, with I'm just going to get louder until they quit bleeding. I'm going to become more aggressive. I may not show the same emotions as my wife, but I still feel the same empathy for my children. Paul Harvey, some of you remember him from years ago, he wrote this. He said, a father is a thing that is forced to endure childbirth without an anesthetic. A father is a thing that growls when it feels good and laughs very loud when it's scared half to death. A father never feels entirely worthy of the worship in his child's eyes. He's never quite the hero his daughter thinks. He's never quite the man his son believes him to be. And this worries him sometimes. So he works too hard to try and smooth the rough places in the road. For those of his own that are going to follow him. A father is a thing that gets very angry. When the first school grades aren't as good as he thinks they should be. He scolds his son. Even though he knows it's the teacher's fault. And fathers are what give their daughters away to men who are not. Worthy of them so that they can produce grandchildren that are smarter than everybody else's. Honorable fathers comfort their family the best way they know how. They may not be able to do it the way mama does, but they do it the best they can. And the fact that they're doing their best with the right motive ought to be enough for his family to honor and respect him. Somebody say amen. Honorable fathers attempt to comfort their families the best way they know how. Secondly, honorable fathers encourage their family. They encourage their children. Verse 11. That word there means to entreat or to beseech or to beg. Now, it doesn't mean this guy's begging his kids to do right. You've got to understand this translation. If you look at the contemporary English or look at English standard or God's word, the word there that is used is encouraged, but as when I studied that, I saw that it to me it looked like it meant more than that. It meant strongly encourage. It didn't mean that they were begging or necessarily bese- it was it was the best attempt there in English to to convey this idea that a dad is going to strongly encourage or motivate or push. His family to action when he thinks it's time for them to act. What's that mean? That means that honorable dads will not allow their family members to be lazy or non-productive or unmotivated. It's dad's job to be the cattle prod to everybody in the house. Hmm. He gets everybody moving and keeps them moving in the right directions. Now, mine and Deb's kids are grown. You know Heather and Bradley. 29 and 27 now. Kids of their own. But we look back on, on how we raised our children and we realize, and dads, you have to do this, that you motivate or encourage your children differently depending on their personalities. Because both of our kids move, but they move at different speeds. Different, different ways, different things motivate them. They're both uh, very industrious. They're both hardworking. 
and they're both very responsible and neither one of them are quitters. And the reason they're not quitters is because their mama and their daddy wouldn't let them be. Somebody say amen. Honorable dads don't let their kids quit. They make them see things through. And sometimes in that I appeared to be mean and insensitive and uncaring. But it wasn't that. It was that I knew that if they were going to be successful in this world, they needed a coach. They needed a mentor. They needed a motivator. And I was going to be that. It came more naturally to me. That was kind of my personality too. And I took the lead in that. And I, and I pushed them. They'll tell you I pushed them. And mama was good at smoothing down feathers. Dad was good at ruffling them. And I hope that someday they'll look back in their lives and they'll point back to there may have been times in their life where they thought we were a little too hard on them. But I hope that someday they'll look back on that and they'll say, I'm so thankful the way I do, the way I was raised. I look back on the way my mom and dad pushed me and the way my dad motivated me. And I'm thankful that he did what he did. He even made statements to, to my mom. Mom would say, you're hard on, on him. And he would say, but that's my son. And someday he's going to grow up and be a good man, a real man. A responsible man. Honest, encouraging fathers take an active role in their family's lives and they're never going to abandon them. They're never going to leave them behind. And when they are honesting and, and honest and encouraging type fathers, they can make statements like I'm about to make and their family won't resent them for it. See, the statements I'm about to make, if they're made from a father who's not honorable, they'll cause their children to resent them. But if they're made... From the mouth of a dad who they know loves them, they'll receive those things and it will make them better. Honorable dads make statements like these. They say to their kids, the man on the top of the mountain didn't fall there. Remember who you are, where you came from. They say things to him like, measure twice, cut once. The second time you get kicked in the head by a mule, it's not a learning experience. If you don't need it, don't buy it. Successful people make a habit of doing things that failures don't like to do. And peer pressure is a crack in the armor of your own conviction. The difference is always attitude. And if everybody else is doing it, it's probably wrong. And the last thing we tell them is the one who quits last wins. If you're an honorable father, you can say those things to your children and they'll receive them correctly in love the way you meant them and they'll be bettered for it. And they won't resent it. Encourage your kids, Dad. Push them to be everything that God intended them to be. Don't make, you're not here to make it easy on them. You're not here to be their friend. I hope that you can have friendship with them. I hope that that, that, that relationship can be. But your foremost job is not to be their best friend. Your foremost job is to be their dad. So be strong. Be firm. Let's talk about some other things. 
You want to be an honorable father? Never laugh at your children's dreams. Listen. You don't always have to talk, Dad. Listen. And let them fall off their bicycle. That one's hard for mamas. That's why dads have to teach kids how to ride bikes a lot of times. Poor Bradley. I took him out on the, in the backyard on the side of a... We had a real steep uh, side of a swimming pool. There wasn't a whole lot of room between there and the fence, but I figured it was enough for him to learn balance. So he didn't even have to pedal. He'd just roll off the side of that pool down the yard, hold a handlebar straight. At some point when he got to the fence after a couple times... He learned how to do the brakes. He was talking yesterday about how I taught him to shoot a BB gun. We went out in the backyard. There was a pole about six feet away. He aimed his BB gun and he shot. I was standing right next to him. He shot the pole and came back and hit him right between the eyes. I said, that's why you don't shoot hard surfaces that close up. He could have put his eye out, but he didn't. And he can shoot a gun, and he won't shoot at anything hard real close anymore either. Never let them shirk their responsibilities. Let them make mistakes. Admit your own mistakes, Dad. There's nothing wrong with admitting your own mistakes. Stay involved in their life. Always believe in them. And every time they need you, be there. I didn't say you got to fix it, but I said every time they need you, be there. You don't always have to do everything for them. Sometimes you can back up, let them try, and you can coach a little bit and make them do it. You're constantly being observed by your children and they're going to learn from you how that, how that they need to handle adversity and anger and disappointment and failure and pain. They learn that from their dad. So encourage them. However strongly you got to do to make sure that they're going to have every chance to flourish in this life. You're not doing them any favors by not allowing them to live life. You know, I'm going to do your kid no good by letting them think two and two is five. You don't need to give them a birthday party every time or a trophy every time they fail. That's what our culture is all about now. Everybody tried, they all get a trophy. Somebody tell China that. When it comes to competing for world business. We all tried, so we all win. No, they don't see that. They see it as the person that knows that two and two is four has a chance to make it in life. The one that they keep telling two and two is five and it's okay, hon. The rest of us are going to take care of that person from now on. I don't believe that, Pastor. Well, you don't have to. And next time it'll be your turn with the mic. Number three, honorable fathers. They charged their family. Look at verse 11 and 12. God word uses the word insisted. But the Greek translates that as testify. But the word testify here is used in the sense of, of protesting or, or making an earnest 
or solemn appeal. So that's why I use the word charge. Paul said we insisted that. Look at verse 12. We insisted or we charged you that you would live in such a way that proves you belong to the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Honorable fathers charge their family to live as verse 12 says they must. Are you doing that, dad? If you are not charging your family per this verse, don't be too shocked by the results of your parenting. If you don't lead your children to Jesus, they may not ever find him. Well, mama will do it. Somebody down to church will do it. That's not enough. It's your job, dad. It's your job to take the lead. No one belongs to God who won't accept and live for him. And if fathers don't take the lead in leading their children to the Lord, if you won't live for him yourself, if if you don't live for him yourself, if you don't lead the way, why should they? Why would they? When they're doing their very best to imitate you, If all of your life you said to them, go to church with your mama. I know I'm talking to guys that are here. But I'm also talking to young men that aren't dads yet. And I'm telling you someday, it might seem easy for you to just say, why don't you take the kids and go, I'm tired. Wait a minute, it's your responsibility. If it's not important to you, it's not going to be important to them. I've seen so many families over the years now, having been here so long, I've seen so many families that the father just didn't take this seriously enough and he didn't make it a priority. And now I'm watching their children and I'm saying, man, we had little kids that were here that we baptized, little kids here that were part of our ministries. I don't see them anymore. And I see their parents about the same as I used to see them once every three or four months. And the kids don't show up no more. And I asked Deb, where's so-and-so? Have you seen so-and-so? No, I haven't seen them in a long time. What, what happened to them? Well, they're not going to church no more. Why not? Not important. It wasn't important as a child. Their parents didn't see it as important. So why should they? Why should they think it's quiet in here today? Dr. Alex McFarlane has written a Fox Opinion column called 10 Reasons Millennials Are Backing Away from God and Christianity. He quotes from the Pew Research Center documents that say that millennials, I'm not picking on millennials, I'm just making a statement, are the least outwardly religious American generation uh, that far more of them uh, than their parents are serving the Lord or are interested in doing so. It says one in four millennials are unaffiliated with any religion. One in four are unaffiliated with any religion. Just over 60% of millennials say that Christianity is judgmental. And 64% say that anti-gay best describes most churches today. In ministry circles, it has long been reported that of youth raised in homes were that, that were to some degree Christian, roughly three-quarters 
will jettison that faith after high school. Just under half of this number will return to the to some level of church involvement in their late 20s or early 30s. Why? And he goes on to give 10 reasons why that list is true. And I'm not going to give you all 10 of those, but you could look that up for yourself and read that article if you'd like. But I want to give a couple of them to you. Here's what he relates this reasoning for, the reason that we're seeing so many people that are leaving their faith or walking away from a faith perhaps that they never really had. Because it was never really ingrained in them. The first one here is the breakdown of the family. The next one, militant secularism. The third one, lack of spiritual authenticity among adults. And millennials are seeing that. The church's cultural influence has diminished. Doug Ferries was teaching Wednesday night in our Bible class over here. I thought he was going to preach my message. I was sitting back there. I was scared he was going to put it out there before I could. He was talking about how that he was saying, he looked at me and he said, Pastor, he said, I imagine that it's, you know, in your first earliest years of ministry, it was probably kind of a respectable thing to be a pastor, right? And I was like, well, yeah. He says, I don't know that that's the case anymore. I'm not so sure that that's a case anymore. It's not necessarily an occupation that is, that is viewed uh, in a good light. Another reason why that so few are chasing after the things of God is for this. Our new God now is tolerance. Our new God, tolerance be thy name. It's hard for God to compete for the souls of people that they would live righteous and holy lives when he's contending with the lie of tolerance. I get the look every time I say this. I, from everybody probably 30 and under, I always get that look of, what are you talking about? Of course we should be tolerant. And I'm not for being angry or mean or hating anyone. I'm tolerant of all people. But I don't think we should celebrate sin. And I don't think we have to accept sin. And I don't think that we have to promote sin. And I don't think that it's wrong for me to preach against sin. And right now, tolerance doesn't mean just be nice to other people because of differences in, in religion or color. No, tolerance is not about that anymore. The tolerant agenda has overtaken kindness to the point now that it has become militant. To encourage and to, and to include all types of craziness that now we are supposed to look at and say that it's normal. Intolerance. I had a conversation with a couple of the guys in the uh, over there the other day. We were in the office, a couple of the young guys. And I, we were having a conversation about this and I said you know what guys I said do you know what you two are and they said what I said you're cisgender and they said what I said you're cisgender they said what's cisgender and I said that's any boy who likes girls we used to call that normal but we can't call it normal anymore because we got LGBTQRSVWXYZ And I'm not being mean to anybody. 
I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not trying to, to not include someone. I'm not saying that we don't love everyone, but we don't have to celebrate everything. We, tolerance now is becoming the, the greatest lie of the enemy and, and being called political incorrectness. And if you as a believer say anything, if you say anything about truth and godliness and holiness, you're automatically put to show. I mean, you don't even have to say anything about the homosexual or transgender. You, all you have to do is just say Jesus and they're already done with you. Because Jesus represents to a generation mean and hate. And it's the farthest thing from the truth. Our Jesus loves everybody. And so do we. But we simply proclaim the truth in love and boldness. Because how will they know if we don't tell them? This is what we're competing against. And dad, this is what's going on. Whether you know it or not, Dad, this is what's going on. Your kids are being told. Every time I bring this up, every one of our young people look at me. And I know, they look at me with that look like, Pastor, I trust you, but I think you're wrong. They don't tell me that at school. They're telling me something completely different from that. And I don't really trust what you're saying. You see what I'm talking about? I thank God for fathers who not only gave us life, but taught us what to do with it. Somebody say amen. And I know you probably had about all you could take, so I'm going to start wrapping this up. Charge your family, Dad. Be a spiritual leader. Charge your family. Don't be afraid to charge your family and insist on. Insist on. I get so tired of hearing people say, well, I'm not going to force my children. I'm not going to force Christianity on my kids. I'm not going to make them go to church if they don't want to go to church. Are you kidding me? Do you make them brush their teeth? Which is more important a thousand years from now, their teeth or their soul? It's just ridiculous. I, I don't get it. What does dad do? What I'm doing right now. You know how it's received? The way it's been received right now. That's what dads do. That's what dads do and that's what spiritual fathers do. Real ones. So I'm going to conclude by sharing a little excerpt from you from Irma Bombeck. Some of you remember her. She wrote the following about her dad years ago. She said, one morning my father didn't get up and go to work. He went to the hospital and died the next day. And I hadn't thought that much about him before. He was, he was just someone who left and came home and seemed glad to see us at night. And he opened the jar of pickles when nobody else could. And he was the only one who wasn't afraid to go in the basement by himself. When he cut himself shaving, nobody kissed it or got excited about it. It was understood when it rained, he went and got the car and brought it around to the door. If anybody was sick, he went out and got the prescription filled. Took lots of pictures, but he was never in them. Whenever I played house, the mother doll had a lot to do, but I never knew what to do with the daddy doll. So I had him say, I'm going off to work now, and I threw him under the bed. The funeral was in our living room, and a lot of people came and brought all kinds of good food and cakes. We'd never had so much company before. I went to my room, and I felt under the bed for the daddy doll. When I found him, I dusted him off, and I put him up on the bed. He never did anything. I didn't know his, hurt, his leaving would hurt so much. Dad, I'm going to tell you something. Our family may never be able to put into words exactly what we do, but if we're honorable fathers, they're going to miss us when we're gone.
And if we're not, they won't. And we have the joy and we have the responsibility and the privilege of helping to shape and mold their lives in ways that glorify God and build up his kingdom. That's our responsibility. It is dad's. And I'm going to say something to you that I don't want to say because I don't want to face it myself, but we're all getting old. Everybody is getting older. It's happening from the moment they're born. Seems like yesterday, you won't believe this, but it seems like just yesterday I could, I could lay down on a, on a bench press. I could take a hundred pound dumbbell in each hand and lay down and rep them out. Wednesday, Wednesday, I thought I hurt my back eating lunch. I was like, oh man, I shouldn't have been over. I'm like, how did I get from there to here so quick? But old is good. Here's the truth of it. Everybody dies, but not everybody gets to get old. And old is a blessing for this reason. Old is when you've been around here long enough, Dad, to get to see your kids grow up and start having kids and grandkids of their own. And that's a blessing. We have to have a few gray hairs in order to, in order to get to, I mean, there's a blessing that goes with it. And for all the things where you stand in the mirror and you're like, what is this? But then you back away and you're like, you know what? It really makes a pretty good chair for that baby. I think he likes it. tough to carry it around it's kind of heavy but the kids enjoy it gives them a place to sleep old means we get to watch our kids make good decisions and get promotions and buy cars and houses and make the same mistakes we made And honorable fathers don't just have to be 50 or they can be 20. They can be 100. They can be skinny or fat. They can be tall or they can be bent over. Walking with a cane. But every dad and every grandpa and every great grandpa who is in God's eyes an honorable father, is worthy of everybody else's respect and honor. And what makes that man an honorable father? The fact that he is not afraid or ashamed to lead his family spiritually. And that's how we're going to end our time today. We're going to end our time today with prayer, and we're also going to end our time with communion. 
I want every dad in this room, if you would, stand real quick. All you dads, stand. I know it's not Father's Day. But I may not, I may not, you know how I do. I'm not real big on special occasion days. I don't always preach on the special occasion. I just preach on whatever's going on, you know. So this might be it. This might be the day where that we spend the time honoring you and thanking you and blessing you. But I want all of you ladies and all of you kids and everyone in the sanctuary to take a look at these men. Do you know why they're in church today? Because they're honorable fathers. They could have gone any. Do you know that today is nice outside? And some guys decided to go fishing because that was more important than going to church. You know why these guys didn't? This comes first. Their relationship with Jesus, relationship with their spouse, their relationship with their children. All of that comes before work or entertainment. This is this is what makes a man honorable. Lord, I pray for all of these men who are standing in this room right now. I pray that you would bless them, that you would give them rest and encouragement peace Lord the reason you gave us those broad shoulders is because you knew we'd need them and we carry a lot of weight and we carry a lot of stress and we carry a lot of responsibility everybody does ladies do everybody does but Lord the, the responsibility is different and the responsibility for men is different than it is for anybody else and especially for dads because the lives of these people are depending on us and on our decisions and on our provision. So God, today, you look down to take notice of all these honorable men who are standing. And I ask that you would bless them and encourage them. I pray that you'll provide for them. And that you will give them credibility everywhere they go, in business, in their community, in their home for sure, in their family for sure. That you would bless their relationships, that you would bless and strengthen the relationships between them and their wife and them and their children. For everyone else in this room, Lord, I pray that you would cause them to just stop for a minute and think about what an honorable father is. And for so many, we're celebrating the fact that we had one and some never did. Some didn't have an honorable father. And so today's hard for them. They're struggling with this message. But I pray that, Lord, you would give us the ability to rejoice with these and to do all we can for these young men in this room Lord someday are going to be fathers that this message I know they won't remember it specifically but that there will be principles and 
portions of it. There'll be something of it. There'll be a seed that will cause them to remember back. Remember back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be above all else. I'm going to be an honorable father. I'm going to lead my family. I'm going to give an account to God someday for the way I led my family. I'm going to be an honorable father. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.